0: He could see the neighbor's pool, and he could faintly hear the pool filter running. Bobby was clean-shaven, but otherwise he and Robert wore the same face, minted in different years. A man walked across the lawn from the pool. He was large, with a gut and dark wavy hair. He wore a Hawaiian print shirt, shorts and sandals. He stopped at the edge of the patio. "Uh, Mrs. Stone, he called. I, uh... Mr. Capparuzzi, this is Robert Maynard and his son Bobby. Ida cut him off. Capparuzzi ignored them. Mrs. Stone, you can't be serious about cutting those trees down. Ida blinked behind her glasses. Oh, I'm not going to cut them down. I'm much too old to do my own cutting. That's why I hired Robert. She nodded at Robert. Mrs. Stone, those trees have been there a long time. She turned toward her house, an old two-story farmhouse with a brick façade and a full porch on the front. This concrete patio is new, twenty-five years ago, but the rest of this house is mostly patched together from what was here before Christ was Christian. Who are you to tell me about how long trees have been on my property? Don't be this way. Caparuzzi said. I just meant that the trees have historical value. You're right. My grandfather was born here in 1850, and he wrote about those trees in his journal. Every day he'd record what the weather was, and some days he'd make a note about the farm or the land. Those trees appear in several of his entries. Ida took a sip of her lemonade. (laughs) Wait right here. I'll show you. She stood and walked into her house, the screen door closing behind her with a smack. The sky was brilliant blue, with one perfect white cloud drifting. Ida emerged from the house, and the screen door smacked again as she sat back in her lawn chair. She held a crumbling leather-covered notebook. She adjusted her glasses and started to read coldly. This is dated July 1890. It says, "'Today I went into town, and walking back up the hill I saw my oaks. They stand out over the other trees.'" Ida gently flipped forward several pages. "'Dr. Hatcher came down from Hanover today to help with the baby, but he was no help. We lost a little girl. I stood out under the oaks and looked up at them.' They've grown so much since I first noticed them. The middle one seems smaller. Maybe they're a mother, father, and child. Ida sipped her lemonade. Capiruzzi shook his head and put his hands on his hips. Why are you cutting them? Ida shrugged. No reason, really. She turned a thin wrist so she could see her watch. I could call the selectmen and file a complaint. Ida nodded. I did call the selectman. Eight o'clock this morning. Old Vern Hafner. I think I woke him up. He said hello, and I said, Vern, this is Ida Stone. What's town ordinance say about running a chainsaw on a Saturday morning? And he said, Ida, you can do anything you want after ten o'clock. Just wait till ten. Then he hung up. Caparuzzi checked his watch. It was 9.55. He shook his head and glared at Ida. I'm going downtown to file a complaint with Hafner. He'll enter it into the town board minutes and we'll get an injunction from the town justice. Ida nodded again. Well, you might do that, except today's the day that Vern goes over to the V.A. to get treatment for his paralysis. I forgot to tell you he mentioned that to me on the phone And since Vern is the head of the Selectmen, no one else can enter items into the board's minutes. She noted her watch. Robert sucked air through his teeth. Ida turned to Bobby and smiled. Caporuzzi's voice had an edge. Mrs. Stone, do you know what I do for a living? Well, some rumor's gone around that you sell encyclopedias, but I don't pay much attention— I've never heard a vacuum running from your place, so I assume you aren't a Stanley steamer man. People who sell vacuums always have the cleanest homes, my mother used to say. I mean, do you work? I didn't even know you were employed. She sat, staring at Caparuzzi. I'm a special investigator with the Vermont State Police. You must be especially good at finding things, then... I'm sure you'll find some more shade for your pool. She took her glasses off and began cleaning them with the red kerchief. She cleared her throat and spoke very softly. My grandson Raymond used to play under those trees. Right here, in the shade. She put her glasses back on. Caparussi shifted his feet. Mrs. Stone, I'm sorry your grandson is in prison but he was a drug dealer. He nodded. Your grandson sold drugs. Not that you know of. The police set him up with an informant who was already on parole, and Raymond bought some marijuana from that man, and that's all of it. He told me. He was doing more than that, Mrs. Stone. If he was doing more than that, how come you didn't catch him at it? We already had all we needed. The state's attorney was satisfied. Ida's eyes were dark. And what was wrong with walking across the lawn some evening and introducing yourself and saying to me that the boy I raised practically since he was born was in with the wrong crowd, that I should talk to him? If I had known, if you had told me, don't you think I'd have talked to him, my own grandson? It doesn't work like that, Caporuzzi said softly this doesn't work at all. How do you think I'm ever going to see him again? I couldn't afford a decent lawyer for him. I don't drive anymore, and he says on visiting days I'd have to sit across from him at a table that's bolted to the floor, in a room full of other people with guards around. I couldn't take it. I'm sorry. How long were you going to live next to me before you decided to come over and tell me that you arrested him? A car door slammed, and a neighborhood dog barked. Caparuzzi shook his head. The law doesn't compel me to tell you. I got a letter from him yesterday, stamped Northeast Regional Correctional Facility. He has to shower with other men, he told me. He's going to be locked up for three years. Thirty-six months. She took a deep breath. I won't be around in thirty-six months. She pointed at Bobby and then Robert and then the trees. Those trees are coming down. She looked straight at Caparuzzi. I don't know where you're from, but don't think you can come up here and set my house on fire to stay warm in yours. Mrs. Stone, I was just doing my job. So were the Romans. She shook her head. As my father used to say, you're a bird even if you never flew. Don't do it, Mrs. Stone. Don't cut those trees. Officer Caparuzzi. You're not married to that woman who flops around your pool in her underwear, so those two little boys of yours are bastards. I'm not in the habit of providing shade for bastards. She stood up and looked at her watch, then at Robert. It's ten o'clock. Cut those trees. capruzzi made a stop motion with his hands. Mrs Stone, you shouldn't do this. Cut 'em. Bobby went out to the truck, opened the cab, and put on his climbing belt and spikes. He pushed a red earplug into each ear, then checked the oil and gas in the limb saw. He decided to start on the tree closest to Harvest Lane and work his way back. The butt of the first tree was huge, at least ten feet around. He dug his spikes in and started to climb. When he reached the top, Bobby could see for miles. There was his father's woodlot, with red and black trucks sitting around idle on a Saturday. The high school looked tiny, the cornfields of Percy's Farm a green and yellow carpet to the river. The mountains seemed close. It was as far as he'd ever seen in his whole life. Bobby pulled the chainsaw's cord and the saw roared carefully cutting in the pattern of a reverse spiral staircase,